How many of you have ever had the joyous privilege of having a bat in your house? A bat, yeah, there's a few people. In our very first house that Carol and I owned, uh, one day we came home one night, walked in the door, and a bat flew by my eyes like this. I said, Carol, we have a bat in our house, and it's this big. It looked huge to me, right? Going right by my eyes. And I said to her, now, I, as the man of the house, have identified the bat. (laughs) She didn't like the next words, you know, of how about you taking care of it. I knew nothing about bats. My my imagination kind of ran crazy. I'm thinking, this wild, crazy-eyed, rabid bat attacker is going to nail me, right? So then the next step is to try to find out where the bat is. Well, it, it turns out that it decides to rest in the curtains in our bedroom. Well, that means we can't just seal off the room and wait for the bat to die. So, so, so in my infinite wisdom and great courage, I take a blanket over my head and I crawl on the floor. <laughs> I open the the sliding glass door, curl back out, and just wait. And then the bat is gone and problem solved. Since then, I've become a little more courageous about bats. And I think the statute of limitations has run out on this, but bats are endangered species. And uh, I think at least one of them has died at my hand over the years. Uh, But I think the statute of limitations has run out on that. This morning, I want to talk about boldness. Not boldness about taking care of nuisance creatures, but rather to be bold for the gospel. I want you to, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 12 this morning. Where we've been so far, everything has to do with gospel in 2 Timothy. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy, a person whom he has mentored. This is uh, during his second and final imprisonment at Rome. He is about to die for his faith. And he writes this letter to Timothy, encouraging him as a younger man in the faith. And one of the things that he will encourage him here is to be bold for the gospel. You remember last week we looked at uh, the idea of fanning into flame the gift of God for the gospel, and how Paul traced both his own and Timothy's religious heritage, their heritage of faith that led them each to where they were at in their Christian journey, and that they were being called upon for service to their master and their king, and to not be fearful about that, for God, verse 7, did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. And so now we come to verses 8 through 12, where Paul is going to give further instruction on this idea of not being afraid, instead being bold for the gospel. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, 
not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Please have a seat. As we look at verse 8, we are called upon to be bold even if it means suffering. Be bold even if it means suffering. I am convinced that as I observe the world dynamic, as I observe the situation in our own culture, that we as believers in Jesus Christ, in the days and years ahead, we will be called upon to suffer for the gospel probably much more than those who have more immediately preceded us. And so this has more than a little relevance to you and me in terms of how we are to live in a world that is not a friend to Christ and the gospel. We are to be bold even if it means suffering, to not be ashamed, instead embrace suffering. He begins the, this section by saying, therefore, it's to call to mind the history of Paul and Timothy's faith that went back to their forebears, and then to recognize the power of God. He's given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, first of all, about the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of what you believe about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Don't be ashamed of that. Uh, it's an easier thing said than done sometimes, isn't it? When we are in contexts where sometimes we're almost called upon to say one thing or another and we find ourselves feeling a little nervous or thready about that and thinking, ah, I don't I really don't want to say anything. <laughs> Particularly as we are moving into a period of time in our culture where almost any opinion that gets stated as an absolute is thought of as downright evil. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed, Paul says, of me, his prisoner. There are times where we can look at other brothers and sisters in the family of God and, and can perhaps by their boldness in the gospel feel a sense of shame, like, oh boy, I don't want to be associated with that. That's a little out there. You know? Paul says, don't, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of the person who's really in, engaged in the sharing of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Instead, he says there in verse 8, share in suffering. 
Now, we like to share lots of stuff. We like to share money. We like to share time. We like to share fun. Paul says, share in suffering for the gospel. That somehow with our brothers and sisters, when they suffer, we don't go, oh, well, I'm glad that happened to them and not me. Because as you know, if you've done any study of history, one of the ways in which people persecute Christians is they try to pick them off one at a time, right? And then if Christians are not sharing in the suffering of their brother and sister and going, well, that's them, that's not me, eventually they will get to you, right? They will come to you. And then there'll be no one left to share in your suffering. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. When we think about the suffering that may lie ahead for all of us who are believers, we could shrink back in horror and say, well, I don't even want to think about that. I don't even want to think about that. Well, that's because in your own strength, you wouldn't be able to do it. You, you can't. When the day comes to be bold for the gospel, there's only one way in which we can do that. That is God's power in us. Now, we can in our own strength, I suppose, conjure up some uh, false kind of courage, but genuine power of boldness that is supernatural, that comes from God. Be bold, even if it means suffering. The only way we can do those things is by the power of God. Now verses 9 and 10. Be bold because of what God has done for us. We might ask, why, why should we be bold in the midst of this kind of pressure? Well, it's because of what God has done for us. God's power in saving us from our sins reveals the means by which we can live this Christian life of sharing and suffering. Notice what it says in verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy calling. First, he rescued us from the slave market of sin. We were dead in our sins. He saved us. That means that we are no longer under eternal condemnation, but we have eternal life. And he has called us to a holy calling. He's given us a ministry, something that is real and personal for us to do. Remember that this is a letter from one guy to another guy. So while there are corporate applications here that are true for the church in general, I think that this is also individual. God saves individuals. Yes, he saves the church, but he saves individuals. Yes, he calls the church to tasks and missions, but he calls you and I, individuals, to a holy calling. Now, you might ask the question, well, what's the basis for that? And Paul is quick to emphasize, not because of our works. We are not saved or called to some special mission for the Lord because of some virtue in us. I suppose that if you were to take a poll and just pick 
a thousand people here in the central Illinois area at random and then ask them this question, on what basis do you believe that God will let you into heaven? Uh, 90 to 95% of people would say something like, well, I, I'm basically okay. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I think God being good and me being fairly good, I think it'll all work out somehow in the end. Notice that the Apostle Paul disagrees with that. He saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, not because of anything we do. We are not saved because of our works. We are not called to a holy calling because of our works. Instead, we are saved, we are called to a holy calling because of his own purpose and grace. Let that sink in for a minute. God has a purpose for you, for your life. He has saved you and called you because of his purposes and because of his grace. The word grace means unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You couldn't earn it. God saved you, called you to a holy calling, not because of your works, not because there's any virtue in you, but because of his grand design, his own purpose, and his grace, his free, unmerited favor given to us. Notice, we can trace God's purpose and grace in our lives back into eternity past. This is an interesting phrase at the end of verse nine, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is not just that God had a plan in eternity past to save some individuals and then later somehow God discovers that it was us because of our faith. No, no, no. It says he gave this to us in Christ Jesus. He gave it to us before the ages began. Now, that should blow your minds. It should raise a few Ask Scott questions that I will not be able to answer. That means that before you and I ever existed, God had a purpose and grace for us that he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We can trace God's work in using our friends and family in our lives. That's what happened in verses one to seven, where Paul talks about Timothy's grandmother and his mother. But Paul now here says that we can trace God's work in salvation in saving individual people all the way back to before the ages began. Before ages of time, God gave us grace. So that's the first one that says which, right? Um, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now verse 10, and which, okay, so he's started 
in big global ways back before the ages began. But now verse 10, he brings in another thing, and which now, he brings it right up to the present moment, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. You see, God saves us and calls us to a holy calling because of his own purpose and grace, which we can trace back into eternity past, and which is revealed right now in the appearing of Jesus Christ to save us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the apostle John says in John 1, and we beheld his glory, glory is of the one and only, full of grace and truth, and this God come in the flesh, died in space and time for our sins, he showed his victory over sin in the grave by rising from the dead, and he now, in his being manifested here on earth, is saving us. Now Paul's recalling of Jesus Christ's coming and the purpose for his coming, whenever he does that, it always leads to a description of what Jesus accomplished. And this section of the scriptures is no exception. Notice, he starts talking about the appearing of our Savior Jesus, and then he describes what Jesus did. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. On the one hand, Jesus' coming abolished death. Well, you might ask the question, in what sense was death abolished by Jesus' coming? In order to understand that, we have to understand that the word death simply means separation. Physical death is the separation of our body from our spirit. But there's such a thing as spiritual death, which is a separation of, our, of us from God. And eternal death would be a separation from God forever, right? And Jesus' death, Jesus coming and his dying and rising from the dead abolished death. What that means is we no longer have to, do, have to, be, have to remain in spiritual death. We can have spiritual life through Jesus. He abolished death. But it's also true that Jesus' death and burial and resurrection has implications for physical death. If you read the scriptures, you know that in Revelation 21, when Jesus comes in his kingdom, that death will be no more. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more sorrow or crying or death or pain for the old order of things is done away. And so not only is it here and now, he's abolished spiritual death, but there is in the appearing of Jesus a promise that physical death is going to be done away with. Hallelujah. Second thing that happens here is that Christ brought life and immortality to light. He brought life to light. You've never really lived, you may think you have, but you've never really lived if you've not known Jesus as your Savior. Jesus himself said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He brought immortality to light, the notion that we will actually live forever. 
Now, think of this because it helps us in figuring out how to be bold. How can we be bold for Christ in the midst of a world that increasingly may persecute believers? It is because we know that we are saved and called by God to a specific calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began and now has been manifested through the appearing of Jesus who's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, now what could people possibly do to you? (laughs) What could they possibly do to you to harm you? If God has done all of that for us, be bold because of what God has done for us. Now verses 11 and 12. Be bold in view of what we already know. God's gospel, if all of this is true, then God's gospel deserves our best and boldest efforts. It deserves our best and boldest communication. Paul calls himself in verse 11, a preacher. The word preacher doesn't just mean somebody who stands up in a church service. It means a herald a person who shares good news, who broadcasts it, who wants everybody to know about it. That's what a preacher is. Paul says, I can't get over this. I gotta let people know. We can be free from our sin. Death has been destroyed. Life and light have been brought and immortality have been brought to light through what Jesus has done for us. And so he's a preacher. He's an apostle. Now that's a specific office in the New Testament that doesn't exist anymore, but behind the word apostle is the word sent. And Jesus gave a mission to every believer in John. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so there is a way in which every one of us has a mission in our own worlds to go wherever God calls us to go and be ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom of God here on earth. You know, the word ambassador is an interesting one. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul describes people who love Jesus as ambassadors for Christ. You know, uh, I happen to know uh, personally uh, the United States ambassador to Bolivia. Um, In the State Department, the ambassador has this job. He is the personal representative of the President of the United States. So that when he is speaking, he is speaking to that nation that he is going to as though the President of the United States is speaking to that nation. Personal representative of the President of the United States. Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ. We're on foreign turf, folks. This world's not a friend to grace. And to be bold for the gospel means that we, every one of us who loves Jesus, are personal representatives of Jesus Christ as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. That when we speak 
As ambassadors for Christ, we are seeking to speak as though Christ were speaking. And then the third phrase he uses there, the third title he gives himself in verse 11, is a teacher. This is a person who is a model, who reveals the give and take in the communication. He doesn't just come in and drop the gospel bomb and then run away as fast as he can, but rather he engages in people's lives and deals with questions and answers and conversation and relationship and seeks as a teacher to model a life of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm a, I'm a preacher. Everywhere I go, I, I want to proclaim the good news. I'm a sent one. Uh, I'm an ambassador. I want to represent the Lord Jesus here on foreign territory. I'm a teacher. I want to engage in people's lives in relationship, in the give and take of that relationship. God's gospel deserves our best and boldest efforts. It deserves our best and boldest communication as a herald, a sent one, a model. It also, according to verse 12, deserves our best and boldest effort at trusting God. Trusting God. Paul says, it's why I suffer as I do, this calling he has, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He says, I'm not ashamed because I know him. I have a relationship with my master. I know the one in whom I have believed. I am convinced, Paul says, of God's protection against any ultimate enemies. I am convinced of God's protection of what has been entrusted to me and we might say also what I have been entrusted able to guard until that day it says what's that day well it might be the day of Paul's death might be some other unknown day but I'm going to suggest to you that he is saying that this in the ultimate sense until the day of the Lord until the kingdom of God comes that God is able to guard the things entrusted to Paul until the very end of the age. That we, who are believers, can have that same testimony. I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. We don't often like to think about the idea of the necessity for the Christian to be bold. Rather, we'd like to think about how can we have kind of a relatively safe and quiet life. Paul actually says we should pray for uh, a life that is devoid of controversy and rather make the gospel our treasure. But I think that where Paul was living... He's about to die. And he's about to die because of what he believes. And he's calling young Timothy to share in his suffering 
with the same kind of boldness. And I think that he's calling us, you and me, as believers in Jesus, to do the same. Now, I want to conclude my message by reading a rather long story. And I know that's not good preaching, to read a long story. But this is a story that deserves to be read to the church from time to time. It is the story of a man by the name of Mehdi Debaj. He was an Iranian preacher of the gospel. He was arrested. He spent nine years in an Iranian prison on the charge of apostasy. He was tried before the Islamic courts in December of 1993. And what I'm about to read to you is his defense at that trial before the Iranian Ayatollahs. Now, because of pressure from human rights groups, Debaj was actually released the next month after giving this defense. But his freedom was short-lived. On June 24th of 1994, he was returning from a conference to celebrate his daughter's birthday. He never arrived to that birthday party. And on July 5th, authorities found his tortured and murdered body. The Islamic leadership in Iran simply could not allow such a bold witness for Christ to survive. They were afraid of the consequences for the destruction of their power base. I believe that the church should hear his defense. It will help put steel in our backbones. Um, I hope it doesn't ever go out of print I hope we honor the the bravery of this wonderful Christian pastor. Here was Mehdi Debaj's defense before the Iranian leadership in December of 1993. In the holy name of God who is our life and existence, with all humility I express my gratitude to the judge of all heaven and earth for this precious opportunity. And with brokenness I wait upon the Lord to deliver me from this court trial according to his promises. I also beg the honored members of the court present to listen with patience to my defense and with respect for the name of the Lord. I am a Christian, a sinner who believes Jesus has died for my sins on the cross and who by his resurrection And victory over death has made me righteous in the presence of the holy God. The true God speaks about this fact in his holy word, the gospel. Jesus means savior because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus paid the penalty of our sins by his own blood and gave us a new life so that we can live for the glory of God by the help of the Holy Spirit and be like a dam against corruption, be a channel of blessing and healing and be protected by the love of God. In response to his kindness, he has asked me to deny myself and be his fully surrendered follower and not fear people, even if they kill my body. I have been charged with apostasy. 
The invisible God who knows our hearts has given assurance to us Christians that we are not among the apostates who will perish, but among the believers so we may save our lives. In Islamic law, an apostate is one who does not believe in God, the prophets, or the resurrection of the dead. We Christians believe in all three. They say, you were a Muslim and you have become a Christian. No, for many years I had no religion. After searching and studying, I accepted God's call and I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to receive eternal life. People choose their religion, but a Christian is chosen by Christ. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. From when? Before the foundation of the world. People will say, you were a Muslim from your birth. God says, you were a Christian from the beginning. He states that he chose us thousands of years ago, even before the creation of the universe, so that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we may be his. A Christian means one who belongs to Jesus Christ. The eternal God who sees the end from the beginning and who has chosen me to belong to him, knew from everlasting whose heart would be drawn to him and who would be willing to sell their faith in eternity for a pot of porridge. I would rather have the whole world against me but know the almighty God is with me. Be called an apostate, but know that I have the approval of the God of glory. The almighty God will raise up anyone he chooses and bring down others, accept some and reject others, send some to heaven and others to hell. Now because God does whatever he desires, who can separate us from the love of God? Or who can destroy the relationship between the creator and the creature? Our refuge is the mercy seat of God who is exalted from the beginning. I know in whom I have believed and he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him to the end until I reach the kingdom of God, the place where the righteous shine like the sun but where the evil doers will receive their punishment in hellfire. They tell me return but from the arms of my God, who can I return to? Is it right to accept what people are saying instead of obeying the word of God? It is now 45 years that I am walking with the God of miracles and his kindness upon me is like a shadow and I owe him much for his fatherly love and concern. The love of Jesus has filled my, all my being and I feel the warmth of his love in every part of my body. God, who is my glory and honor and protector, has put his seal of approval upon me through his unsparing blessings and miracles. The good and kind God reproves and punishes all those whom he loves. He tests them in preparation for heaven. The God of Daniel, who protected his friends in the fiery furnace, has protected me for nine years in prison, and all the bad happenings have turned out for our good and gain. So much so, I am filled to overflowing with joy and thankfulness. The God of Job has tested my faith and commitment in order to strengthen my patience and faithfulness. During those nine years, he has freed me from all my responsibilities so that under the protection of his blessed name, I would spend my time in prayer and study of his word with heart searching and brokenness and grow in the knowledge of my Lord. I praise the Lord for this unique opportunity you gave me space in my confinement. My difficult hardships brought healing and your kindness revived me. Oh, what great blessings God has in store for those who fear him. They object to my evangelizing, 
But if you find a, and he quotes a Persian proverb here, but if you find a blind person near a well and keep silent, then you have sinned. It is our religious duty, as long as the door of God's mercy is open, to convince evildoers to turn from their sinful ways and find refuge in him in order to be saved from the wrath of a righteous God and from the coming dreadful judgment. Jesus Christ says, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Among the prophets of God, only Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he is our living intercessor forever. He is our Savior, and he is the Son of God. To know him means to know eternal life. I, a useless sinner have believed in his beloved person and all his words and miracles recorded in the gospel, and I have committed my life into his hands. Life for me is an opportunity to serve him, and death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but am ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus my Lord and enter his kingdom sooner the place where the elect of God enter to everlasting life, but the wicked to eternal damnation. May the shadow of God's kindness and his hand of blessing and healing be upon you and reign forever. Amen. With respect, your Christian prisoner, Medidibaj. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Heavenly Father, we I want to pray today that those who have never put their faith in Christ, and there are doubtless some here in this room who have not, would recognize that this is the pearl of great price, that this is worth everything. To have Christ is everything, and to not have Christ, nothing else matters. Lord, may your spirit convince of these truths. And I pray that this morning, anyone who does not know Jesus would put their faith and hope in him, asking him to forgive them of their sins by what he did at the cross, believing that he died to pay for our sin, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day, and so he will bring us with him in his kingdom forever. I pray, Lord, that those of us who do know Jesus would recognize that you have saved us as individuals, You have called us as individuals. Yes, there's corporate salvation and corporate calling, but here in this text, there's a personal salvation and calling 
that you have on the believer's life. So, Lord, I pray you would help us to be bold for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.